what I want us to consider this evening, name, namely being an effective evangelist. Doing a series of messages from the book of Acts on evangelism episodes, that is, uh, uh, narratives primarily from the book of Acts where soul winning, witnessing was evident. And uh, I want us to jump into that in chapter 7 of the book of Acts. If you'd make your way to chapter 7, you know, uh, summer's coming. It's going to be 100 degrees, likely. And the grass is going to burn up because it doesn't have deep roots. And without water, it's going to suffer. Flowers will have to be tended uh, very regularly or the same will happen. But mature trees don't have that problem because the roots go deep and water nutrients can be uh, brought uh, out of the deeper ground to supply the need. Similarly, followers of Christ, we need to be deeply rooted and grounded in Scripture. Uh, in fact, Scripture tells us, I believe in Ephesians, to be rooted and grounded in love, in Him. Know what we believe and why we believe it. And when it comes to evangelism, uh, the more knowledge, information that we can acquire and have a, a good working knowledge of that, the better, even the more effective we'll be. Again, salvation is of the Lord, but he has so ordained that he will use us as instruments uh, in seeing someone come to know him. And so Acts chapter 7, if you would, picking up to the context at the end of chapter 6, you have the deacon Stephen who is witnessing and verse 11, now they, the religious leaders, suborned men, hired men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Of course, they never heard him do any such thing, uh, hence the, the need to uh, hire people to accuse him of that. Uh, it couldn't be further from the truth. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 7, if you look at that, then said the high priest unto Stephen, Are these things so? Did you really do that? Are you guilty of uh, that of which they have accused you? Um, Stephen could have gone down a dozen rabbin, uh, rabbit trails on this, but verse 1 tells us that God opens the door doors for effective evangelism in the lives of those who were burdened for souls. Stephen could have chased all kinds of trails, but what was needed was, the that, was the, that the gospel would be presented yet again. And so he was set on doing that. Folks, if you desire to be used of God, you don't have to talk God into it at all. He wants to use you. Just get that mindset that if you're a follower of Christ, he wants to use you. God desires to use you in effectively communicating the gospel to the lost. He's created you. He's redeemed you. He's ordained you to bear fruit. Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship. We're his poetry in motion. We're his masterpiece of artwork. It's, it's that very word created in Christ Jesus 
unto for the purpose of good works. And by the way, God before ordained that we should walk in them. And certainly being an effective evangelist is a good work. Uh, And so I don't hesitate at all to say he wants every one of his children involved as effective evangelists in the here and now. Now, the high priest here in verse 1, I am sure, did not want to invite the gospel to be shared, but God was orchestrating the circumstances. And since Stephen had a burden for souls, God says, okay, I'll go ahead and open a door. And we see then that God is the one. We don't, the point is this. You don't have to worry about forcing a door open. You don't have to worry about creating a circumstance. Because if your heart is burdened and you want to share, if you truly desire that others have everlasting life, the Lord says, I'll get on board with that. I'll come, I'll anoint that. I'll empower that. I'll bless that. I'll blow my wind of conviction across that heart because my servant is burdened for that person or those people. And that was the case with Stephen. Stephen was burdened for them. He was practicing 1 Peter 3.15, always ready to give an answer to anyone who would ask you. And isn't that what happened? The high priest said, did this really happen? Are you really guilty? Is this actually true? Well, you asked me, so I'm going to uh, give you a reason of the hope of, uh, of the Lord which is in me. And so I ask you, and I ask myself, what is our burden in life? Is it to be used of God to touch other lives? And if so, uh, to what degree of intensity is it? And, And it's an ebb and flow. It's an ebb and flow in my life. And it probably is in your life as well. There are times when uh, the, uh, the antenna, the spiritual antenna for the lost is more acutely tuned than possibly at other times. Hence the narrative that we're given to remind us to always be ready, to always be walking in wisdom. As the uh, writer of Proverbs said in chapter 30, the one who wins souls is wise. Chapter 11, uh, uh, I said chapter in chapter 11 and verse 30. And James 5 and verse 20, he that converts a sinner from the air of his way shall save a soul from that death and hide a multitude of sins. And so I ask you, I ask myself, am I burdened to be an effective evangelist? If not, then why not? And I ought to be. So verse 1, God opens the door. And then we see uh, in a long narrative, but it's very, it's easy and quick to read because there's not a a lot of uh, theology to wrestle with. It's just the narrative story. And it's this, there are spiritual truths which must be shared with the lost for your your evangelism to be effective. You can't just say anything. Uh, You can't just uh, communicate, uh, uh, well, (laughs) uh, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. There, are you saved? No, there, there are truths pertaining to the gospel, which must be shared. Lost people need the truth. Folks, it's because only the truth can free the lost soul from sin's shackles and hell's horrors. It's only biblical truth that can do that, which is why, probably which is why in our day and time, we're never going to be a a real popular church. Redbridge is not the cool church to attend. Did you know that? (laughs) Um, uh, If you want to be with the cool crowd, I know that's using that as a pejorative, 
And in a sense, I mean it that way. Uh, because we are convinced theologically that lives are changed by theological truth. Period. The grace of God, the power of God using theological truth. Not by being cutesy, not by being clever, not by wowing the crowd. We don't have to have uh, uh, smoke and mirrors and, and strobe lights and uh, swallowing goldfish. and We don't have to do all the cool stuff because we don't believe that is the, is the, uh, is the mechanism God uses. The truth shall set you free. And so folks need biblical truth in context applied to their lives and we see Stephen doing just that verse 2 through verse 60 and he said men brethren fathers hearken the God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haram and said unto him get thee out of the country from thy kindred come into the land which I will show thee then came he out of the land of the Chaldeans dwelt in Haran and from there went with his father uh, when his father was dead he removed him into this land in which you now dwell And he gave him no inheritance in it. No, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child. Wow, what a, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, what a wonderful uh, truth that is in Scripture. And God spoke in this way that his seed should, should sojourn, that is travel in a strange land, that they should bring them into bondage and ill treat them 400 years. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God. And after that, they shall come forth, serve me in this place. There's the Palestinian covenant. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac, circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs moved with envy, uh, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And delivered him out of uh, all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now there uh, came a famine over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren. Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Then said Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. And Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers. And they carried over into, uh, and were carried over into Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham brought, uh, bought for a sum of money of the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. Till another king arose who knew not Joseph. The same dealt craftily with our kindred and ill-treated our fathers, so they cast out their, their young children to the end that they might not live. In which time Moses was born, was exceedingly fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him as her own. And Moses was learned, uh, learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And the next day he showed himself to them as they strove, as they were fighting, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, you are brethren, why do you wrong, what do you do wrong one to another? 
And he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a sojourner in the land of Midian, uh, where he begot two sons. Now remember, Stephen is saying all of this to the high priest and to those who were listening. That's the context here. He's, he's, re- he's recalling and recounting the story of Israel. Um, of course, they were in total agreement. They understood. They knew this story. And when the 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and dared not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes uh, from off thy feet, for the ground where, or for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning and come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a, ju- a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses who said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like me. Him shall you hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness, that is in the assembly, in the gathering in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers, who received the living oracles to give unto us, whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in the hearts turned back again into Egypt." saying unto Aaron, Make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moses who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we know not what is become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered sacrifice unto the idol and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. O ye house of Israel, have you offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tabernacle of Moloch and uh, the star of your gods, Repham, figures which uh, you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that you, he should make it according to the fashion as he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua into the possession of the nations, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Um, but Solomon built him a house. Nevertheless, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? And so we see here a host of spiritual truths that Stephen presented to these lost religious leaders and brought it to their attention Let's break it down very quickly, one point at a time. He reminded them in verses 2 through 16 that salvation is not based on race or ethnicity. Uh, Stephen began his gospel presentation by reminding them of the history of the nation of Israel. And in other words, he, uh, he was um, 
demonstrating that he understood and he agreed with uh, uh, and he uh, could recite to them the history of God's national people, Israel. But Israel rejected God's rule in their lives. He recounted the story of the patriarchs, uh, to, patriarchs to show that he was not blaspheming Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was not blaspheming Moses, that in fact he had a high view of uh, the Old Testament. And so in reviewing this, Stephen gave a frame of reference to those to whom he was witnessing. And folks, that's a good idea. If you can find out uh, what that person's belief system is, that lost person's belief system is, just some kind of a rudimentary idea, um, then you can, then you have a good frame of reference to know uh, what that person's background is. For instance, if I'm dealing with uh, someone who's a Hindu uh, uh, or uh, has a Hindu background or came from a Hindu nation, as it were, versus someone who's Catholic uh, or has a Catholic background, well, then I'm, I have a, a, a much better understanding of what that person's frame of reference is. Therefore, uh, I can know what to emphasize. I can know uh, what objections I can anticipate and all the rest. And so uh, I need to understand and, and we need to understand uh, that in our witnessing, find out, if you can, what that person's theological understanding is, and then you can uh, make application according to uh, the gospel, apply the gospel to uh, where that person is. If the person is polytheistic, that is many gods, well, uh, Scripture is very clear on that. If, it's, if that's not the case, uh, then maybe uh, you don't have to emphasize uh, monotheism. If, if that person already embraces that, uh, then you can emphasize another one. Well, Stephen did this. He identified uh, with the God of the Old Testament and he was emphasizing that, hey, uh, uh, they rejected. The, uh, the prophets were rejected. You all have rejected. It isn't based on race or ethnicity. Secondly, in verses 17 through 37, salvation isn't based on relationships, human relationships. In other words, for the first century Jew, uh, to speak against Moses would be equivalent, as it were, to speaking against Muhammad to a Muslim in our day. And again, he, did, he emphasized that he wasn't speaking against Moses, but just because you're a friend of Moses does not make you a child of God. Uh, many people affirm the life and ministry of Moses, but that does not generate salvation. Thirdly, in verses 38 through 43, salvation isn't based on religion. Now, I'm not suggesting uh, every evangelistic encounter that you have is going to cover every one of these points. It, it very well may not. But for Stephen, it did. And he was addressing each one of them. It's not based on religion. Stephen did not violate the law of God any more than anyone else did. But still, no matter if he was religious, it does not save a person. Now, think about this in our day. Just take it in a, in a, in a modern-day contemporary encounter with a lost person. If you were to ask the nor this the average lost person on the street in 21st century America, uh, sir, ma'am, uh, may we talk about world religions and say, who would you say uh, is the most religious person the world has seen in our lifetime? person would think and give you an answer. Who might that an what might that answer be? 
Billy Graham. Who else? Mother Teresa for a lost person. Would, Billy Graham would be, would be right up there as well. But Mother Teresa would absolutely be included in that, uh, in that list. And yet, why would that person say Mother Teresa? Because that person knows intimately her belief system? No. It's because she was a do-gooder. And the lost believe that doing good merits salvation. In fact, uh, I once read that John MacArthur uh, had a private audience with uh, Mother Teresa, and uh, he said he came away not judging her heart, but she, did not, she could not articulate uh, a, uh, a point of theology uh, regarding justification by faith. She didn't seem to understand justification by faith when he met with her. And that is the case with the world. The world is religious. Everyone has some type of a religion. Now, it might go up to point one. Um, my religion is my ethnicity. And, hey, after all, we're the people of God. We're Jews. Uh, therefore, we have a relationship. For me, when I, at 18, 19 years old, I would have told you, I'm an American. America is a Christian nation. Ergo, I'm a Christian. And I'm telling you, folks, I really did believe it. Now, of course, I, I ignorantly thought that. I didn't, I didn't have any knowledge of that. It just seemed to fit. And so everyone has some type of religion. And Stephen went to that point. Third, fourthly, salvation isn't based on rituals, and he gets into that, talking about the temple and talking about how uh, we had the temple. David wanted the temple. Uh, Solomon ended up building it, um, but then he, he shoots that. He pulls the rug out from under that in verse 48. Uh, God doesn't dwell in temples. He wants a person's heart, and so Stephen is kind of setting him up with them saying, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right, yeah, that's right. Okay, you do affirm Moses. Uh, you do believe in the Old Testament Scriptures. You do appreciate the, 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 uh, the role that the temple had and all of that, emphasizing the point that uh, there are truths which must be uh, presented that, no, this is not salvation. No, this is not salvation. Well, what do they need to know? Well, the lost need to know that uh, they have to turn. They must turn from sin and to the Savior. It's not effective evangelism to the degree that it could be if I've not challenged, even if it's in a, a store, in an airport, and you just have a moment, saying something such as, oh, you, you say that you believe in God? Are you passionately following the Lord this day. And even if you don't have any other opportunity, just leaving that thought with that person. Is your heart truly yielded, truly given to following him each and every day? And of course, if you, had more, if you have more opportunity, then you get into sharing more and more uh, scriptural truths. Look at verses 51 through 60, and that'll be the reading that we do primarily. And then, now, uh, uh, Stephen has pretty, he, he, set, he set them up, not, uh, not in, a, uh, in a, a mean-spirited way, but he wanted them agreeing with him. Yeah, that's right. Okay, we see that. Yeah, we agree with that too. And then he said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, also so do you. 
which of the prophets have not our father, your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them who showed uh, before of the coming of the just one, of whom you have now, um, uh, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disputation of angels and have not kept it. In other words, you had all of this. You had Moses and the patriarchs and the temple and the word and all the rest, and you have rejected it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God, Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran upon him with one accord, cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And, when they, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. That is, he died. The lost must be called to turn uh, from their sin, from their waywardness, from their religion, from their good works, whatever it might be, and turn wholeheartedly to Christ and Christ alone for salvation. First of all, help lost people realize they're standing before God. And of course, the way you do that is by pressing the law upon uh, the hearts of, of, of that lost person. Now, folks, it, it is absolutely proper, and we should use the law, the Mosaic law, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments. But Scripture says it must be used lawfully, that is, in the proper way. What's the proper way? The law is given to reveal the holiness of God and the depravity of man. It has never been given as a means for justification. In fact, that's exactly the, the unlawful use of the law. And so Stephen applied all of this biblical text. He was just reciting it, apparently. And he said, and you are guilty of all these things. You've not walked in faith as our father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, and, and you haven't kept uh, the law of Moses. And he's the one who said that a prophet would come. And instead, uh, you rejected and killed him. You are guilty. <clears throat> You're not doing a lost person a favor by being light on the law. Now, of course, and I, I need to say it because one of you will uh, remind me that I didn't say it. Of course you do it with a, a humble and a kind spirit. Of course I'm not wanting to be mean-spirited uh, to a, a lost person. Speak the truth. Do so in love because, after all, you're burdened for that soul. Amen? And so if you're burdened, you, you desperately, you earnestly want to see him or her turn in faith. And so, of course, we're sure, but, but, but we're not soft-selling um, the law which they have violated. So Stephen was brutally blunt because this is what that crowd needed. They were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. And he was blunt and straightforward with them. So if you're sharing with somebody who isn't resistant, who is uh, 
sympathetic, if you will, and I keep, you've heard me say it a number of times, but uh, Scott and Oksana, I just, I just can't get out of my mind uh, sharing with Oksana's parents. And I went over there and we sat down and I told them uh, through Oksana translating why Kathy and I had come over. We came over for one reason. We didn't come over to fellowship and eat and uh, have fun with the kids. We do that as well at times. But we came over for the specific reason of finding out if these two middle-aged folks heading back to the war zone in Ukraine have eternal life, care about eternal life, know anything about the gospel. Because they've been attending here for a number of weeks and Scott Knox and I have been telling with, uh, sharing with them. And so I said, uh, they said, yes, we want to hear, hear you. And I start, launched right into the first point of the law, of, the go- uh, of, uh, uh, of sharing the gospel with presenting the law. I said, do you believe you have broken God's law? And it was almost like they both slapped their mouths and said, we are terrible sinners. <laughs> I thought, okay, we can go to the next point uh, uh, of the gospel. Uh, they were already broken and having a heavy heart over, we don't measure up. Who does? Who could? Well, okay, you've passed checkpoint one. Uh, you understand the purpose of the law that you are guilty. So help people see their standing uh, relative to God's law. And then, and this is uh, not to be understated, be sure that your walk matches your talk. And that's exactly... See, Stephen didn't even get to share anything more. Uh, he, he didn't say, share, can I lead you in a serious prayer? Would you like to discuss it? And they just came on him uh, and, and threw him out and killed him in moments, seemingly. I mean, it didn't take long to get outside the gates uh, in Jerusalem and for them to stone him to death. And I would offer that uh, Stephen, if, if Stephen would have reacted in the flesh through retaliation to, due to this injustice being done to him, his testimony would have been disqualified in their eyes. And of course, God was going to save who he was going to save. We understand that. He, uh, he, will, he will facilitate the gospel being communicated to the hearts of those who will receive, to the elect. But for Stephen's sake, his testimony would have been diminished. But of course, it wasn't. And look what happened because of how Stephen responded to those who rejected him. Look at chapter 8 and just verse 1 and 2. And Saul, that later to become the Apostle Paul, so you know this must have burned uh, deep into his soul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. That's right, more stones. Let's kill this guy. Let's kill this blasphemer. And at that time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. In other words, if Stephen can do this, and he's just a member of the church. Uh, uh, he's just part of the first Baptist church of Jerusalem there in the, in, the, in the first century. If he'll do this and he'll stand alone and he'll speak the truth to the religious leaders and whoever else will listen, even if it cost him his life with his dying breath praying for his persecutors, then the others said, we can do that as well. We can also stand alone if need be for the cause of Christ. And so folks, if you want to be and you desire be, to be effective in evangelism, then it begins with the burden 
for the lost. And if you don't have the burden for the lost, and uh, as I mentioned, mine, mine is an ebb and flow. Mine is a come and go. You get, uh, you get occupied with life and with raising the family and uh, uh, medical needs and transportation issues and education. All of us can get our, our, our lives cluttered. I mean, that's just the, the way of it. And so I have to be intentional about that. Uh, Kathy and I talking to one another, uh, uh, you, you with a family member, you with a, a brother or sister, about who is it uh, that we can pray together for that person's salvation. Certainly you know lost people. Certainly at least you know those that you're not sure if they're saved. And be praying now. God, would you open the door? You open the door for Stephen uh, with the high priest simply saying, tell me why they're accusing. Oh, <laughs> give me a reason uh, for the hope that is in you is essentially what that lost priest said to Stephen. And Stephen launched right out into speaking, communicating the truth of Scripture, and then his life and, bringing, uh, and pressing the law uh, upon their hearts, and then his life matching uh, what he shared. I want to bear fruit for the cause of Christ. Amen? I mean, I actually want to bear fruit. John 15, uh, if you abide in me, you're going to be fruit bearing. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold, um, depending upon how God will use you and what capacity. But you can be uh, effective in evangelism. I can be effective. Starts with a burden. Learn the truth of the gospel if, you, if you're not familiar with sharing it already, and then actually risk it all, uh, put it all, uh, be, you, be that offering, be poured out as a drink offering for the Lord. Uh, probably in our culture, you're not going to be uh, killed with big boulders being thrown at you. It could happen, but we haven't seen that. That's not a common reaction. Uh, you may be rejected by that coworker. You may be uh, ignored by that family member. Yeah, but it's for the gospel's sake. And you're called to suffer, and I'm called to suffer. All who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, shall suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Uh, and you may as well, but it is worth the cost uh, in being an effective evangelist. Lord, um, would you uh, use this narrative in our hearts to cause us, Lord, to, to our, our burden to be uh, deepened, our boldness to be even more exaggerated in our day-to-day lives with our neighbors, getting to know our neighbors, helping carrying a burden for our neighbors, our co-workers, um, uh, the, the mailman, the, the dentist, the, uh, the pharmacist, the, the uh, barber, whoever it, uh, it might, the person waiting on us in the restaurant. Lord, would you use each one of us in these days, this week, not sometime, not will you use me in my life. Lord, would you open up a door of witness this week for every child of God. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, if, you're, if you'll pray that prayer right now, God, would you open that up, a door, this week for me to share. Uh, you don't need to tell me. Pray that right now, asking God that you mean business. You're going to carry this burden, that you'll share the gospel with 
a lost person as God will open that door. And you're going to be looking for that door. You don't want to bypass that door that's open. Lord, would you do that? And then give us the remembrance of what we know of you, Christ in me, the hope of glory, and to be able to share that with the lost. Lord, may my life be conformed more and more to your image so that when I do share, the person uh, will understand that, that uh, I'm genuine, that it's a genuine burden for that person's soul and for the glory of God. Lord, would you do this in our lives, even in these days, and we'll rejoice in, uh, in how you'll bless with fruit uh, through the lives of we, your people. Lord Jesus, in your glorious name we do pray.